Hey everyone and welcome to the NFL Road Show. Lindsey Rhodes here with three weeks remaining in draft season. The first round slated to kick things off on Thursday, April 28th. And we are going to continue our look into the prospects today with a deep dive into the defensive backfield. We're talking corners and safeties. Who are the best guys available? How are they different from one another? What makes them pop? Why might a team not want them? And who are the teams that should? We're talking fits. And also a little bit with regard to safety, value. Plus, my guest today, Eric Crocker, has an interesting favorite at that position. And it's a position that he knows well. He, defensive back in general, he played corner himself in the Arena Football League. He had a cup of coffee in the NFL, and he's carved out a really nice niche for himself as an analyst slash evaluator of that position in particular, and you'll see why in just a sec. He's very good. Uh, You can hear him on the Locked On Podcast Network, specifically Locked On 49ers and Locked On NFL Draft, and you can hear him here right now as we break the huddle. Hurry up, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Crocky, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. Thanks for having me on again. Uh, Thank you for being on again. I know that you've been uh, very busy with your podcast talking all things draft. I would like to kind of narrow the focus for purposes of this episode to um, your specific area of expertise, which is the DB position. My favorite thing to talk about. (laughs) Yep, exactly. Exactly. So how would you describe the cornerback? Let's start with the corners. How would you describe the cornerback class in general? You know, I, I think it's a really good class. Uh, you have a little bit of everything. And I think that the, the maybe one of the biggest things I've noticed with this class is just the differences in the players. They have like these really different skill sets mm. that it'll be, it'll depend on what the team is looking for. Like say Sauce Gardner and Derek Stingley Jr. Derek Stingley, I mean, he's a primarily a man corner at LSU and they put a lot of responsibility on them from that standpoint as opposed to a guy like Sauce Gardner, who he plays a man, but he also plays a lot of zone. And you'd see them do some too high cover two type stuff. Just the way he played, just different body styles, different movement skills. So I think from that standpoint, throughout this class of cornerbacks, it's intriguing. How is that transition? Like, what is that like from college to the pros or even going from like one type of team that plays more zone than man is one harder or easier to make than others? I think the transition can be more difficult than most fans know. Uh, Just a year ago, there were two guys or two years ago now, I believe there were two guys drafted in the top 10. You had CJ Henderson and Jeffrey Okuda. Okuda Mm -hmm. went number three to the Lions. Henderson went number nine, I believe, to Jacksonville, Jacksonville. somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Well, really, when they were drafted, I thought they should flip-flop. And not based on who you think is like the better guy, but more so what their skill set was and what they did well. Henderson, I thought, was the better pure man guy in that class. Whereas opposed to Jeffrey Kuda, was one of the better and one of the best guys to kind of read down concepts from a press bell zone type scheme. So I thought if you flip those guys, they perf- they would fit perfect. But when you ask Akuda to have to shadow guys and travel guys ar- travel around and cover opposing wide receiver ones or different receivers, I didn't think that was a skill set. And he struggled with it. And then everybody comes out and says, oh, he's a bust. I knew he was overrated. And it's like, man, he, not really. He's just in the wrong scheme for him. They just need to trade him. <laughs> yeah. just flip-flop how does that kind of a mistake get made oh man you know I think sometimes scouts or coaches just seeing the talent and saying you know what I I can make him do this other thing or I can I can put him here and I can teach him these other things as opposed to just being like you know what this guy does this at an extremely high level let's just stick with that and have these other guys do things um a real quick example Stefan Gilmore I remember talking to a, a patriot defensive back. And he talked about how Stefan Gilmore, they kept it very simple for him. Hey, you go guard that guy and they would run zones and things around them, but they would leave him manned up because what that's what he does very well. So, you know, so maybe it takes a coach to kind of get out of his own way and not be stubborn and not try to force a guy into a specific scheme. And then you can get the best version of that guy. 
kind of hopping all over the place now, but since you brought up Gilmore and he is uh, still a free agent, then based on what you just said, where do you think he would fit best? So someone that runs a lot of man, uh, you know, obviously I think, hell, going back to the New England Patriots, <laughs> that would be a, a, a win. Now, I don't know why he wanted out. And obviously there might be some things going on there in, in-house to where he won't return there. But I think a scheme that runs a lot of that type of coverage to man, some, they ran match man, which was like really weird to see on film. I didn't know what I was looking at at first, but um, I'm trying to think of some schemes in the NFL, uh, probably the Lions. What they're doing now is he's going to want to go to a team that right. is potentially kind of rebuilding. Aaron Glenn, the cornerback coach there, they played a lot of two-man uh, when he was in with the New Orleans Saints. I think maybe, you know, bringing Gilmore to play opposite, uh, maybe a Kuda, that would be good. But then they have Aurorie, who he had a strong year. So I don't know. We have to see where he fits. But definitely a scheme that runs more man. I've heard his name in Raider circles a lot, that they're kind of hoping that that's a potential possibility. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense in any way? Oh, I think it makes sense because definitely they need a lot of help at corner. But again, it's on the coach to adjust. So if you can say, you know what, maybe this isn't exactly what our scheme is and what we built our foundation around. But if we can tell this guy, hey, you go do that and we can play around him a different kind of scheme. I think from that standpoint, it could be successful. Everyone just has to be on the same page. While we're there, where should uh, Honey Badger go? Oh, you know, I think a great spot for 49ers. Not, no, no, I'm a 49ers says fan. the 49ers guy. But, <laughs> but um, man, you know, I, I think in, when we get into the safeties, my top five safeties, there'll be some guys that have a similar type style as him. And oh, I love hearing that. But Tyron's very, very, yeah, I mean, very versatile. Uh, he can play different type of scheme where there's too high. He can play man. He can man up on slots. I think that gives him more value. I'm curious to see wh- or know why he's kind of holding out right now. I don't know if it's a money thing, but a, a team that I think would utilize him the right way, probably the New York Giants with their new defensive coordinator and what he did in Baltimore. They ran a lot of man. Now, he put a lot on his cornerbacks, but I think if he had a safety like Matthew, you could utilize him in a similar aspect. I wonder if he's holding out or if the teams are holding out on him based on what you just said about the guys in the draft class that have some similarities. Cause if you could plug one of them in on a rookie contract for five years, why would you pay for Tyron Matthews? So maybe it's possible right. that he's just going to have to wait until after the draft. I don't know any information, but literally just based on what you just said, that would seem to make sense to a degree. Okay. Getting back to the cornerback draft class. Um, would you say that it's a particularly deep position or is it like obviously tiered in terms of elite and then, you know, good, but not elite. Like, how, how would you break it down in that sense? I think the guys that are probably projected to go in the first 50 picks, you're strong there. And then it kind of tails off a little bit. Now, after that, there are some guys that have really high upside. And, you know, I guess I'll, I'll mention some of them right now. Uh, Tariq Woolen, a guy out of UTSA, cornerback, really long, 6'4", 205 pounds. I mean, ran a blazing 40-yard dash. but what people don't understand is, especially at the cornerback position, the, the taller and longer you you are, the more difficult it is to actually like match and mirror the movements of a receiver. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested to see how he kind of develops and how he understands how to play with more anticipation. I spoke with him at a senior bowl. I actually advised him. I said, hey, go work with Antonio Camardi. If you need me to set that up, he was my former teammate. I'll set that up. And I actually hit Camardi. Camardi said, anytime he's in Texas, I'll work with him. But work with a guy that understands your your body, your movement skills, and how difficult it is to play at that length and learn how to play with more anticipation. So he's a guy probably later, but he has freakish upside. Do you know if they ever hooked up? I haven't seen it. And, you know, everybody posts everything on social media now. <laughs> so I haven't seen it yet. But uh, hopefully in the next few months, maybe some offseason training, they get connected. It's a good point. If it didn't happen on Instagram, it probably didn't happen. Okay, didn't so <laughs> uh, uh, I'm asking about the tiers because I'm trying to figure out kind of where the run would be. And if you think that there's depth and they all kind of merge together, if that might, you know, result in teams waiting to get guys later. If, um, so, so as we go through kind of your top fives, I'd be interested 
for you to kind of talk about also put them into like where your breaks are. You know what I mean? Like, like this guy is yeah. way different and you got to go get him. And then my next guy is lower. Anyway, should we start with your, let's start with your one. Who Who's the best corner in the class? I, I like sauce Gardner mm. a, a lot. Now, obviously he had the production, a uh, big time production and not just from like, you know, a playmaking standpoint, but he limited the plays of opposing uh, receivers that he had to go up against. I, I've heard some crazy stats and I've fact-checked it, but something along the lines of last year didn't give up more than 13 yards to any one receiver in the game. That's incredible. Zero touchdowns given up throughout his entire career. That's incredible. Now, we do have to use some context with it because, you know, he is a guy who did not play in the Power Five, right? So right. my next guy on the list, when I get to him, you, I mean, he played against much more talented uh, receivers and prospects that are going to the NFL top 10 picks where you're going to get tested more than what sauce get, did on an, on, on a consistent basis. Now sauce did go up against Jameson Williams, uh, who I think is probably my wide receiver one in this class at Alabama in that playoff game. But I thought they, they leaned a little bit more zone heavy than playing pure man and having him on an Island, having to really focus on guarding this one receiver. It seems like sauce. And by the way, I know who your number two is based on what you already said. Um, but we'll get to that. The fact that sauce kind of checks every box, I feel like for me as somebody who, you know, is not watching the tape and doing the evaluation, but just taking in all the things that I've heard from other people like you who are watching the tapes, it feels to me like I would be the most comfortable drafting that as my one, because there are fewer question marks attached to it. He's got the size, right. he's got the speed, he's got the swag, which is so integral at this particular position. If you're going to put somebody out on an Island and by the way, is he a guy that you would put out on an Island? Is he a CB one? Cause there's a difference in this class. I think and some of the guys are very, very good CB two, right? Like, but that doesn't mean that they're not great. They just aren't necessarily right. the guy you want on a wide receiver. One is he, is he that guy? I talked about scheme fits and I don't know if he fits a pure man scheme. That's going to ask him to be manned, manned up a ton, but a team that I really like drafting him, And this is really high for a cornerback, but number three, overall, the Houston Texans who play more too high. Lovey Smith's defense, more cover two, that type of scheme, using his long six, three frame, getting in passing windows, still being able to play man and use his athleticism. I think that would be a great spot and really set him up for success. He does some really good stuff with his own eyes and sometimes even man eyes as well, where, you know, I have this thing I call pressure key, visual key. I actually got that from coach Howard, a guy I coach with, but pressure key, visual key in zone, right? Where a lot of times in zone, you're reading two to one and your pressure key is the guy in front of you. That that's one. Your visual key is likely two or somebody that can leak out at a backfield. Well, sauce Gardner did a terrific job of getting his hands on one squeezing to shrink those windows and then come off to make tackles on plays in the backfield. I thought his mindset and where he was from a physicality standpoint was really off the charts. So there's a lot to like about him, especially from his own standpoint. Man, I, I like him, but I, I think a more zone-heavy scheme, especially that allows him to line up and press alignment, that would be more ideal for him. Houston makes so much sense, obviously, in terms of their areas of need coming in dead last last year in um, coverage grade, mm -hmm. according to PFF, with a just an abysmal 32 was their their coverage grade for perspective. Cleveland was number one with a 90.7 and 21 teams in the NFL had at least a 60 or more. Wow. So. So obviously that is an area of need for them. There are lots of them, but I guess that's a good place to start right at corner. Cause that's an elite value position. Okay. So that's sauce Gardner based on what you said earlier. I'm going to guess that your number two is Derek Stingley jr. Yes. And I don't know how confident I am, but I still think he's just a step above everybody else. in the sense of the highs that I've seen from him, I, I kind of compare his situation like Trevor Lawrence, where Trevor Lawrence freshman year, you know, like he probably far exceeded expectations, winning a national title, knocking off Alabama. And I know everyone said, well, he can only go up from here. This He's matching everything that we thought we would see from him. The greatest prospect ever since Andrew Luck and all that stuff. And then I thought yeah, Trevor Lawrence's next two years were just kind of so-so. And maybe just the expectations were so high. I think it's the same thing for Derek Stingley, where he had such a great freshman year. And then after that, it's kind of been a little inconsistent. Uh, he's been banged up. He's missed games. But 
when you put on that freshman film and you see how well he played really throughout the year, I know he had his hiccups against Devontae Smith, who I thought was a terrific receiver. Actually had those hiccups two years in a row. But aside from that, I mean, when you talk about, you know, being a fluid athlete, being able to run with guys, uh, being able to challenge guys at the catch point, when his technique is on point, is really good. From that standpoint, he's great. But how much did the injuries hinder him? And what can you expect, you know, kind of heading over to the NFL? How would that translate? Which version of Stingley are we getting? I think that's the big question mark. For me, that that just scares me. And it bumps him down my list, regardless of what you might see. Like, I'm somebody who needs a high floor, right? Like, I might, like, you're looking for that very high ceiling, obviously. But I kind of feel like at least high in the first half of the first round, I want to draft somebody that I know their floor, where their floor is, and that I'm going to get somebody that I can count on to be something specific. And then if they are more than that, then obviously that's great. Where do you come in on, on, you know, on that argument, I guess, what would you be looking for? Why would a team want to roll the dice on him maybe early in the first round? Is it a specific type of team that can afford to do that? Yes, there is a specific type of team, a team that has, I don't know, maybe three first round picks uh, this year. And that would be the Philadelphia Eagles where and I don't know if Stingley's going to you know, go that late. But if he does, if he's there available at 15, a team that's like, you know what? We have three swings at it. If we miss on one of these guys, especially Stingley, who has elite capabilities, but maybe, you know, the consistency lacks in the sense of what we've seen over the last couple of years. They can they can take that swing because if, if, as long as they hit on one of the other two guys, then they're just fine. So it makes a lot of sense for a team like that. That's also will need cornerback help as well. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. Who's your number three? Kyrie Elam, uh, cornerback out of Florida. Uh, he has the size. He has the speed. Uh, you know, you talked about the swagger that South Gardner plays with. I think Elam plays with that as well. Uh, watching him, I, I like to watch, and I, and I watch several games on these guys. I really like to watch like the best competition they played against. And in recent years, like I'd always go to the LSU film, like how the cornerbacks play against LSU and those receivers, Chase and Jefferson and those guys. Well, now it's, well, it's been Alabama as well, whether it was, you know, the Waddles and, and all those guys, Ruggs, and Judy and Smith. And this year they had Jameson Williams. And I like to see, well, how does this guy look playing against a guy that is so twitched up so fast, so so much burst and acceleration and he handled it extremely well. I learned a lot about a cornerback based on how they react to a receiver. Does he bail on his technique because he's scared about being beaten over top? You know, does he, you know, get out too quick on certain things? You know, does he stay square at the line of scrimmage or is he trying to run out? So I thought with Elam, he did an extremely good job of challenging himself at the line of scrimmage and not really falling for things that Jameson Williams was trying to give him. Competing at the catch point, I thought it was a terrific game. So showed really high upside uh, from that standpoint. Then he went to the combine, ran very well, ran sub four, four fours. I think it was four, three, eight, four, three, nine. Uh, And with his size, I think that's tremendous. He's almost like a CJ Henderson clone who went top 10 a couple of years ago. Is he scheme specific? Uh, I, I think they they did enough to be versatile. I, I would still lean more man with him. I thought he just looked more comfortable at, you know, at the line of scrimmage playing press as opposed to off. But he is someone that can do some of those things. I've heard people talking about his ability to flip his hips, not being particularly yeah. off the charts. What do you see in that regard? And what do you make of it? Yeah. So you're not going to want him to have like, so coaches can do things to put guys in a position to where they don't have to turn and run from a, like an off coverage uh, standpoint. Uh, you want to simplify it as much as possible for him. So again, he's the guy who I would play more at the line of scrimmage and that would eliminate him having to, you know, play off coverage, read his receiver down, flip his hips, turn around with a guy, you know, line him up more and press man or press bail and have him read concepts from there, I think he'd be terrific. What uh, kind of a team? Where should we put him? Oh, you know, I like Kansas City at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. You know, they've been very aggressive uh, with how they play their coverage. And he might go f- higher than that. But if, if we're just talking about a fit right. and a need for a team, I think KC, that's a perfect uh, match for him. So KC leaves the first round with a wide receiver and uh, Elam? 
You know, we'll see with the receivers because they did. Obviously, they traded Tariq Hill, but they signed Juju. Uh, they signed uh, Valdez Scantling, I believe. Yeah. And they also had uh, the kid out of Georgia, Miko Hartman. Mm-hmm. So they, they have some guys to where we'll, we'll see if they draft think? receivers. But enough? I don't know if it's, I don't know what. And then you throw in Travis Kelsey, who's the number one pass. Obviously. So when you factor all of those guys in together, I think that's a solid group where you don't have to force a receiver. Now, if there's a guy that you just really like and you're like, man, he's here and we didn't expect him to be here, you take him. But if they're not that guy, I don't think you have to force a receiver at pick 29 or 30 or wherever they're picking. Well, Mahomes will, you know, elevate the play of any wide receiver. So maybe you're right. Maybe they can get away with that. Who's your number four cornerback? All right. My number four is Andrew Booth out of Clemson. Now, this is a guy you talked about kind of scheme versatility. And he shows tremendous athleticism, uh, being able to jump off the charts, at least on film. Now, one thing kind of scares me a little bit. He has not tested yet. And maybe it's some injuries or maybe he just keeps pushing it off because he doesn't want someone to see something. So that's a little questionable. But at least on film, you talked about having hips to be able to flip your hips, turn and run. He does that extremely well. Talk about what scheme does a guy fit in. I think he's fits in any type of scheme that a coach wants. He is one of the more versatile corners in this class. It's, it's, it kind of He kind of reminds me a little bit, maybe not to the same extent, but... I really like Greg Newsom last season, uh, last offseason. He was my CB2 in that class. And I see similar capabilities from Booth, just in the sense of movement skills and scheme versatility. What do you think of his feet? I've literally heard people describe his footwork in diametrically opposed ways. Some people have said it's, he has the best feet in the class. And then some people have said that his feet need work. Which one is it? I like his feet. I, I didn't see anything, you know, he motor out. I think maybe he used consistently a little bit too much feet at the line of scrimmage, sometimes giving a little bit too much space for the receiver. I really like when guys, hey, don't don't create the space for the receiver. It's already hard enough to play cornerback position. We want to make the receiver work as laterally at the line of scrimmage as possible. I thought he could be a little bit more consistent with that, but even then, it seemed more times than not, he wasn't in like bad uh, positioning to eventually make a play on the ball. Okay, I'm going to throw out a number. You tell me if I should be concerned about it. He gave up 29 catches on 46 targets for 312 yards this past year. It's, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say too concerned, you know, because an NFL team can say, you know what? How did he get beat on these things? Or maybe if we just don't do those things and we put him (laughs) in a situation that better fits him, then he'll be all right. To me, it always comes back to that. How do you plan on using these guys? Because sometimes, and Sometimes they, they ding guys for yards, so I'd have to see exactly how that is. But mm-hmm. let's say C.J. Henderson, for example. If you look at the numbers against him, against LSU and Jamar Chase, it looks crazy. But part of it was because there was a 60-yard touchdown. But on the 60-yard touchdown, he was lined up in the slot. The receiver, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, really ran in. They ran a pick on him. Chase wheeled off of that, and he runs pretty much untouched for a 60-yard touchdown. And, but those numbers go against Henderson. But I'm looking at it like, well, that's a pick play. So when it comes to his kind of devaluation of the player, I'm not worried about that. Unless he was told, hey, if you see Chase in the slot and you see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on the outside and Chase is on the ball, know that pick is coming. If you didn't know that, then there could be some recognition issues. But overall, I wouldn't be too worried. All right. Where's a, where's a good fit for him? Let's find him a team. Oh, okay. I mean, when, when, you, when you're like him and I think he is a scheme versatile, as he is, I, I think he could fit in a lot of places. But, you know, obviously my 49ers, they don't pick first round, but he fit great in the 49ers game where they don't ask guys to play, play a whole lot of press or a whole lot of man. They run a lot of quarters. Uh, I think he fit a quarter scheme extremely well. So whatever quarter schemes are out there in the NFL, uh, hey, maybe the New England Patriots. I don't know if they're in need for a cornerback, but he fit that extremely well. So now you, since you brought up, you know, maybe putting him on a team with a, in a second round pick position, how many cornerbacks do you realistically think will go? And we're putting teams where we think, you know, they're good fits. That's not necessarily like where we think that they will go or in teams, you know, uh, sometimes pick people that we don't agree with the the slotting. Anyway, um, how many first round cornerbacks do you think that there are in this class? I think think actually 
Okay. For that should be first rounders or for you think like the way the board plays out will probably go in the first round. I, I think four that should be okay. first rounders. Okay. Where I'm I'm very confident. So even with Andrew Booth, uh, I have him at four for my CB five, Trent McDuffie. Okay. I think he will go ahead of Andrew Booth. I think there's a possibility of that. Why is that? Uh I just think the way they played at Washington was very soft. And you have to dig really deep to find exactly what it is you're looking for, especially from a man concept. Uh, I thought he was terrific enough. He showed good feet. He showed good twist suddenness. I thought he really helped himself by running well at the combine. I think there were a lot of comparisons to Byron, uh, Brian Murphy, Byron Murphy, who played at uh, Washington previously, but he ran slower. He was like shorter, but ran a four, five, five. And you start to run in that range. You're kind of running yourself out of the first round unless you have really good length. Well, McDuffie doesn't have as much length as you like, but with him running in the four fours and having the good feet, having the good hips, having some of the change of direction, I think a team will say, you know what? We've seen enough of him in man coverage that we really like, even though we weren't seeing it consistently or even though he wasn't playing against top tier receivers week in and week out. But he has a lot to work with, scheme versatility. I think he's a guy that could potentially go a little bit higher. I'm going to let that Pac-12 slander just slide um, and not <laughs> take it on head on. Uh, well, you see, I got the USC jersey behind me. So, you, you know, I, I, I root for the Pac-12, you know, from California. But, you know. I know, I know. You I know. know. Yes. It's been a little interesting over there right now. Um, can he take on wide receiver ones, McDuffie? You talked about having guys come in as CB1s and CB2s. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's a guy that I would project to be a CB1, but would be a solid CB2. That's okay. how I project it. So maybe if there's a team at the end of the first round in particular, if we're talking, you know, in that range that likes him, that might actually be his best case scenario because those are going to be better teams with fewer holes. Maybe put him opposite somebody who's already legit on the other side. You know, what's funny and I don't know how to, how it changes the evaluation or your ability to, to make sense of what you're seeing. He had a pretty good corner on the other side, uh, yeah, in Washington. Too. So what do you, what do you make of that when you have, you know, two guys, I mean, obviously they're each individually doing their own thing in their specific assignment, but in terms of, you know, a a quarterback being able to avoid somebody or whatever, what is, what does that do to your evaluation when you've got somebody maybe equally good on the other side? Yeah, I'm not as high on Kyler Gordon as some others. I know there's some people that have him as for sure a first round corner. Uh, there were people that were projecting him to run in the four threes. Uh, he didn't do that. I think he ran like low four or five at the combine. So that's not ideal. And the 40, the 40 yard dash is not the end all be all. There's one other guy who I kind of have like five B. So I do want to talk about him. He didn't run a great 40 yard dash time at the combine. Your film ultimately is going to determine how people feel about your ability to run with receivers. But again, in that Washington scheme, you just don't get to see it a lot because of how soft the coverage that they play over there. So my next guy, which is Roger McCrary out of Auburn, I'm really high on him, but he has some things that scare me a little bit. I, I think just on the film, he should be a first round guy. But man, this reminds me of Damon Arnett coming out, who off of film, I'm like, man, off of film, Arnett looks like a first round guy, but based on his testing, he looks like a day two guy and late day two, maybe potentially round three. And it turns out the athleticism did kind of hurt him. Either it was that or his off-field stuff, trying to kill people or whatever he was doing. That was weird. But uh, Never ideal. But Roger McCrary, um, not ideal at all. Roger McCrary, I, I thought just from an ability standpoint, what he put on film, he had some of my bet, favorite film to watch. He challenged himself. They played a ton of men. He, he was able to run with guys. You watch him against Alabama. I feel like in the Alabama game, he was targeted like 12 or 13 times. I mean, they threw it at him, but they had to because he's guarding Jamison Williams. He's guarding John Mechie. He's, they're, they're trying to run slot phase on him. He's defending that well. They picked him a couple of times and got guys out in space. You know, But just from everything that you want to see from corner, he had it. But he's not the biggest of guys, 5'11", 186. And, and that's fine. You could be slight. I'm not worried about that. But the short arms, that's definitely going to turn 
uh, NFL coach, uh, NFL teams off of him. And not just short. I mean, it's like historically short. It's like a 28 inch. Like the, some teams like Seattle, they're notoriously known for 32 inch arm length. And they, if you're, if you're under that, they're going to cut you off. You can get by with 31, anything shorter than that. You know, they start, the questions start popping up when you're yeah. under 29. That's very alarming. They're sounding alarms. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. Just run well. And maybe people will forget about that. Well, he went to the combine and ran a four, five, five. Now that doesn't match with what I saw on film. I saw him run vertically with guys from the slot, which is one of the harder things to do, but they're still, you know, they're going to look at what he, what he tested at. They're going to look at his measurements and say, that's not as ideal. Now he did go to his combine. I mean, his pro day, excuse me. He did go to his pro day and run much better. Ran like four, four, seven. So I think that helped him. So a team that wants to make an excuse to draft him because they love his film a lot, that might help him a little bit. But uh, that that testing, I think it might knock him down and actually let a team maybe in the second round have a corner that ends up being one of their better guys. It's You brought up the arms. Uh, McDuffie also sub 30. We talk about arm length a lot at tackles. I think maybe, you know, uh, your average NFL fan is less familiar with why arm length is so important for cornerbacks. Why is that? I think it's actually more important for tackles. I mean, those are guys that are trying not to let the defenders get into their chest and you want to kind of keep them at the distance and, you know, the hand fighting and all that. At corner, I, I think it's a little overrated. I think it's a little overrated. Everyone thinks, well, if you have these long arms, you press better. But not knowing in the NFL, I'd say... 75% of the time, you're not getting hands-on at the line of scrimmage. It's so difficult. These guys are quicker. They're more agile. They're more crafty with their releases. Unless it's just this big guy uh, that's kind of a slower mover, it's really hard to consistently get hands-on. Maybe having longer arms helps, but I don't think it just helps you just be a better cover guy. So I think it's a, a little overrated. And that's coming from someone who had the long arms and understands you know, how to utilize them. But and how it can disrupt receivers at times, but it's 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 at the NFL level, it's hard to do that consistently. Got it. You've mentioned the 40 times a few times, and I am still hearing a lot of people talk about 40s with regards to this position in particular, the cornerback position. Um, in a day when we have, you know, GPS data and stuff like that, is it still as relevant? Um, Rick Spielman made a point a few weeks ago on the podcast about why 40 times are important just in terms of comparative, like historical data. You want to, you want to be able to fill in all of the data points, um, in terms of comps and stuff like that. So you have a better idea of what you're looking at. That makes sense to me. But if you're tr looking at it just in terms of evaluating whether somebody is fast enough or not, does it still matter to the degree that it used to, do you think? Uh, no, I think the GPS definitely helps a lot. But again, like you said, the historical data that goes into it kind of shows guys that don't run as fast typically don't play as long. And, and I mean, they have a large sample size of guys who maybe aren't as successful. I think it was my guy, uh, Mosher, who have put out this whole thing of cornerbacks who ran a four, six or slower. And like one of them worked out. I think it was like Tremaine Johnson, who ended up having, you know, a seven interception season played like seven years. And even then, once he kind of lost another step, it was just over. It was done. Uh, so I think the, the speed isn't the end-all be-all. You just have to be able to play the position. But I think in kind of using myself as an example, I was a 4-5-5 five, five type guy at cornerback. And I felt that. Like, I, I knew that, you know, I had to play things a certain way because it was harder for me to consistently run with guys that were just flat out faster. Now, if you weren't faster than me or if you were barely faster than me, then I was fine. But if you were much faster, I found myself doing those things I talked about Kyrie Elam not doing, mm. you know, getting out too quick, getting too far upfield shoulder inst instead of staying on that lower hip because maybe I didn't quite trust that I can run with this guy and track the ball in down the field. So I think that's where it hurts a little bit, just knowing that you kind of have that in your back pocket. But I do think the GPS definitely helps a lot. Since we're talking about 40s, is this a good time to pivot over to safety and talk about Kyle Hamilton? Yes, yes. But what do you make of uh, his 40s, which uh, were not exciting? No, I think at the safety position, it, more than anything, anticipation is very important. And if you show the ability to do that 
and play with anticipation and, and understand the concepts and be able to read those things and get a jump on it, you're fine. Now, here's what's not ideal about Kyle Hamilton. Not only did he run a slower 40, at the combine, it was like 4.59, and that was alarming to people. And then he went to his pro day, and everything coming out of there is 4.7 and 4.74. Now, that's, that's one thing. But the more difficult thing is, and I talked about it with some of these longer guys, right, like Tariq Woolen. When you are so tall, 6'4", like he is, and 220 pounds, your movement skills are longer. So now you, just off of that, even if he ran a 4'3", you still have to be able to play with better anticipation. But now when you're longer like that and you don't run quite as fast and you're the, the, as tall as he is, I think it just makes everything more difficult. And it might kind of hurt how people utilize him. Are they going to ask him to do some of the things that some of these other safeties could do? You know, uh, and we'll get into that. Some of the coverage skills and the ability that these guys have. But I, I've heard, and I'm on my guy, Tony Pauline, all the time. I do this podcast with the New York Giants uh, weekly. And he talks about him potentially being an outside linebacker. Really? And, 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 and I won't go that far, but I could see how you potentially might want him to play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage. You could do some things for where he's off. I don't know how much you want to uh, put him in that position consistently. So I could be wrong, but those, it, the, the size with the slower speed, it is somewhat alarming. Well, his versatility, you could look at that as a strength, right? The fact that you could just like move him if need be, um, unless you're moving him because he just can't get it done where he is, right? Like I, I've seen his, I've seen him described as somebody that could play everywhere, but he, but the defensive line and a, as if that's a good thing. Um, a, do you believe that to be true? And, uh, and, and do you think that you would potentially is, would you have to move him for negative reasons as opposed to like yeah. you're, you're graded everything and here's where we need you. You know, that was the conversation around Isaiah Simmons a couple of years ago coming out of Clemson. Mm. Now the difference is because they have probably similar size. Maybe Simmons, Simmons was a little heavier, but Simmons also ran a blazing 40. He, he ran sub four, four. He was a four, three guy where Hamilton doesn't have that. So that that's the part where again, in, in a, GPS matters more. Right. And maybe we can see some things because I've seen some uh, film where he's a far half safety and he gets all the way across the field running with somebody, intercepts a, a ball diving out of bounds. And that's, that's terrific. Now, in the NFL, will the play take that long to develop? Will the quarterback be late? Are the receivers faster than what you saw in that game or in that situation? Those are the things that teams are going to have to kind of be able to kind of judge, you know, and and figure out where to put him. But he is a guy, I don't want to overthink it because of a 40-yard dash. He's right. a terrific prospect coming out. There are people that have him ranked as high as top five. But I wouldn't take him that high. And I talked about my favorite type of safeties. He's not that. Now, what I do think is just with his body and ability of what we've seen, I don't doubt that he'll be a good football player. I just don't know exactly how high I would take a safety where I think it's a little bit harder to play that brand of football with how wide open the passing game is in today's game. It's, it's tough because every time I see him, you know, like at the lions at number two, uh, I, I have positional value issues, I think with that. And, and I know that you could, you know, make an argument on his behalf. Um, I just, I just have a hard time taking a safety and building around that. If you're a team that's high enough to pick, you know, or bad enough to pick there, then you obviously right. have a lot of needs. Just from a positional value standpoint, does it make sense at all to take a safety that high? And and if not, where do you think it starts to make sense from a, again, a, a value standpoint? You know, if, if you just say he's going to have the same type of production as he did in college and in the NFL, and you see the ability and you like all that, then it does make sense to take a safety that high because he can affect the game at all three levels. You know, whether it's on the back end, him being a too high guy, whether he comes up. And I saw one play where it was fourth and one. He was a too high safety. And at the snap, he shot down and made a tackle for loss. So, you know, if you value a guy that can impact the game in that many different ways and kind of clean up things that maybe other guys have troubles with, then from that standpoint, I think he is worth it because there's a lot of, of added uh, value there. 
but it's just, are you going to get that guy? And, yeah. and that, that's, that's the, that's the question. In terms of just to continue the roster building thought and uh, and playing up the Detroit specific, I guess, thing, because that seems to be uh, where he is being plugged in a lot. If you're Detroit and you're trying to build this defense, um, they have coverage problems. We talked about Houston and how they were the worst graded team last year in that department. Lions were second worst with a 36 grade. Again, an awful comp compared to most of the league. But then they also were really way down there in terms of pass rush. Also, with the 64.7, they were the fourth worst graded team in terms of pass rush. So in terms of building a defense, does it make more sense to go edge and start there? Or if you feel like, I guess you, if you think that, that he is the type of guy that changes things on the back end, I guess, where, where is the, the most benefit in terms of starting? Because you could make an argument, obviously, that if the rush gets there, obviously that helps the guys on the back, but also if the back end can lock them down, then that helps the guys up front, get to the quarterback faster. So it all works together. Where would you start? Edge 100% or pass pressure. I mean, you, you the, the pass rush helps the secondary more than the secondary helps the pass rush. Now, there will be times where, you know, you can get a coverage sack and things like that. But at the end of the day, you want a quarterback as uncomfortable as possible. You want to move him off of his spot. You want to make him feel like his time clock is sped up and he has to get rid of the ball before he wants to. So if I'm going, if I have to choose between the front and the back end in the sense of valuing that and picking that in the top part of the draft, I'm, I'm definitely going with edge and I don't even have to think about that. Like you move that quarterback, make him have to throw before he wants to, and especially in this class where there are those edge guys. Mm-hmm. I think last year, you know, maybe there wasn't that, you know, pure edge guy uh, in the top 10 this year. You got like five of them So take one of them. <laughs> Who do you like the most for Detroit? Like, let's Whoa. say, do you, I assume you have Aiden going number one. I believe he'll go number one in Jacksonville. Yes. Okay. So but he's not my sort- favorite. Oh, he's not. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, then. So assuming that that is what happens, then the draft kind of starts at two. And then who is your favorite? Who would you have them take? So my favorite, I don't think he'll go here because he just ruptured his Achilles, but I love David Ajabo. And I, I love like his his motor, his speed off the edge, the different pass rush moves he can give you. There's still some refinement going on there. But I just, when, when you watch that acceleration and he looks like a clone of prime, like D Ford, like how D Ford, when he was really good for the 49ers or really good for Kansas city. Now we only saw two years of that, but he looks like that coming off of the edge, the impact that he made, he can improve in certain areas. But if we're talking about getting after the quarterback, I think he's going to, he's going to cause hell for quarterbacks. Now he ruptured his Achilles. So I don't know how far he'll fall. Talked about Philadelphia Eagles, maybe being able to take on a guy that, is injured because they have three first round picks. Talked about Stingley potentially going there. Maybe a guy like a Jabo goes there as well. But I think so far, he's 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 like my favorite. And I, I know he had the injury, and people think that this season is over for him, but it's not. Like most guys with this injury, they come back six to seven months. So he'll come back later in the season. It's good that it happened for him in March. Come October, November, he could be full go. Now he still won't be 100 percent himself, but I think. For a team pushing to make a playoff run, and maybe that's not the Lions or could be the Eagles, though, he would help in that situation. You have him come in, hey, just be a, a third down guy coming off of the edge later in the year. I think it can help a lot. So he's he's probably my favorite guy because he does some freakish stuff. I love that. And it totally makes I sense. Was, real with quick, the Eagles. I was trying to watch Vincent Gray, who's a cornerback from Michigan. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't, is, whoa, who is that? Dang, it's a job again. Whoa, who is that? Dang, it's a job again. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool to see. So then we still haven't found anybody for Detroit. Who would you plug in there? Uh, I, I think maybe a guy like Trevon Walker out of Georgia. Uh, he's very versatile. I think he, you know, he could play inside. I think if you're running a 3-4 defense, he could play in there. If you run a 4-3 defense, he could be a, a 4-3 in. If you run a, a 3-4 and you want him to be an outside linebacker, he can rush the passer and drop in the coverage. I, there, there are the Goldston things going on where a guy that maybe didn't have quite the production, but uh, tested through the roofs, and we're seeing that with Walker. But I just think a guy with so much upside, 
You got to find out how, how, if he, if you feel like he can do those things, then you take him. If you don't think he'll ever be that guy and he's just a workout warrior, then, then you pass. But I think he's a guy that would fit really just the mindset of what Campbell is built in there with how he has his guys playing. I think Walker is that guy. Did we find a team for Hamilton before we move on from him? No, we did not. But I, I would take him out of the top 10. Okay. And I'd say maybe Houston with their second pick mm. and a team that does run a lot too high and maybe won't ask him to have to come down, play man on slots, maybe, you know, do those type of things. I think he'd fit in a scheme like that. He could still run some cover three and be uh, a seam flat guy. But I don't, I, I don't want him to have to play a whole lot of man or a whole lot of match. Dude, you give them Sauce and Kyle Hamilton. Can you imagine how excited Houston Texans fans would be walking out of this draft? Yeah, now, I think they have some edge issues as well, so they might be upset with me that I didn't address that. But, um, you know, if you can get better on the back end like that, again, Lovey Smith, you're working to build that defense and to your identity, and, you know, they're trying to piece up some other spots there with guys like Desmond King bringing him back. But I think having Sauce and, and Kyle Hamilton, I mean, that's, you, you got some guys that you're really building on for years to come. I mean, they're looking to build up everything. This is a team that's like the opposite of the Browns last year where they could just take best available because they didn't have any holes on paper. Yeah. Um, the Texans have holes everywhere, so they can also take <laughs> yeah. best available. All right. Uh, so we've kind of talked about Kyle Hamilton in the ways that you don't necessarily agree with the way that everybody else is like um, gassing him up to the degree that they are. He's still your number one right. safety, though, correct? Uh, no, uh, he's technically my number two. Who's your number one? Uh, Louis Seen out of Georgia. Uh, love his film. I mean, and I have some of my notes here, but his closing speed. And again, this is not just because he ran a blazing time at the combine. Another guy that ran in the four threes. But when you just watch him on film and how he can close on receivers or runners, it's terrific. And not just that. He doesn't just close and, okay, I'm going to go make the tackle. He closes and he throws his entire body into guys. And I saw it several times. Now, one time he kind of lost. He tried to take on Brian Robinson up high in the Alabama game and kind of, uh, it was a collision. Then he kind of got driven back just a little bit. But then he made up for it on the goal line. Boom, came in there, tried to knock his head off. I love his tenacity. I love his mindset. They did a lot of stuff. You talk about match, you know, whether it's cover four or whatever it is. And him basically being manned up with receivers with a head start running at him, never panicked, got in phase, head around, made plays on the ball. I mean, he he fits everything that I think you need to be in today's day and age as a safety. So you like him more than Hamilton. Do you think there's a chance that he goes higher than Hamilton? Uh, I would take him higher. <laughs> I don't know how the, the NFL sees it, but uh, I all, I'm also a little bit lower on just longer defensive backs. Typically, unless unless I can figure out a way to scheme around it. So if a team feels like they can scheme around the length of like Sauce Gardner, I really like him. I put him in the scheme where it's like, hey, cover two. You can run some man, but we're not going to live in man, you know, just for his movement skills. I think that would be terrific. Hamilton, put him in the scheme, cover two, uh, two high safety. Do some stuff where you drop down, play zone in space. I think you can do well there. Uh, you know, I think Lewis Seen, I just think he has more versatility because you can do some man stuff with them, match, and it doesn't matter the, co the coverage that you run from a zone perspective. You've mentioned a few times, and there seems to be a trend in the NFL moving toward more of a too high safety uh, defensive look. Yeah. Do you think that that helps the guys coming out this year at the safety position that teams are going to be maybe looking for more safeties than they have been in years past? Yeah, well, I think they're going in more too high. and You're, you're seeing a lot more quarters being ran. Uh, you have guys from that Kubiak, Shanahan offensive style where they're doing a lot of play action with the big crossers coming across the field. And they used to have more single high. You saw the Seattle three be really big in the NFL uh, in previous years. But now that crosser kind of screws up people's roles and leaves a big open window. So teams are going more, especially early downs, more towards a too high look. So they have somebody to catch that crosser. I think from that standpoint, you see a little bit more too high going on, especially early downs. Now, third down, that money down, teams are playing a little bit more man, where there's more man with a single high or whatever. But you also want a bigger end on the edge to kind of really help against the run in that situation. So uh, I think that's why I talk a little bit more about too high 
that you're seeing a little bit more in the NFL now, and even teams that don't traditionally run uh, that type of coverage, they're doing it. But I think a team you talked about, Lewis, in a team that would fit. They got Nasir Adderley, but maybe the Chargers. I think the Chargers could 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 fit. Now again, that's kind of high. I think they picked like sixteen or seventeen in that range. Yeah, but 17. I think they would seventeen. Yeah, they they he would fit there. And then again, if you pair that with what they have on the front, you got Bosa. They just got Khalil Mack. I think they're terrific. You know, linebacker position, the corners. They get, just got J.C. Jacks. Oh. They got Adderley, but if you throw have a guy like Lucien in there, yeah, that's that's. That's money. And you need that because you also got to play yeah. to your 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 division. Yep. And they play in the division that now has Russell Wilson. Also has Patrick Mahomes, of course, and everything that they'd like to do. So I think he'd be a good fit for the Chargers. Also have Derek Carr and Devontae Adams and yeah. that passing game there. I'm not going to let you just leave them out. I know. My bad. My bad, Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got our number one and number two safeties. Who's your number three? Uh, it is uh, Jaquan Brisker out of Penn State. Uh, one thing that was really clear to me watching them, one, very versatile. I, I feel like you can watch four plays and see him lined up in four different spots. So that's really good. They trust his ability a ton. Uh, he was very active. And, I mean, whether he thought it was a pass or they do a play action, he'd go deep. Then he'd come up. Uh, one of my first note, notes is searching for contact. So he's a guy that he goes out of his way to try to hit a guy or throw his body. Whether you're wrapped up or not, he's coming over the top to clean you up. He's searching. I really liked his mentality. Again, talked about it earlier. Guys that play with swagger, he definitely has that. I don't know if it's because he's wearing number one. Well, I feel like when you wear number one, you have to play with a certain level of swagger. He yeah. definitely matched that. And I thought, uh, the, one of my last notes on him, his play recognition. I thought it was terrific. Just truly understanding right away what it is and being able to trigger and having the athleticism to play. Here's a guy that I thought did a really good job on passes going down the field, helping coverage, uh, helping with the over-the-top coverage with uh, defensive backs. So, yeah, here's a guy I really, I really like. PFF's draft guide says that he'll be specifically coveted by teams who have specific box roles. See, I didn't – I mean, and again, I talked about seeking contact, and he has that mentality, but I didn't see him as a guy that just has to. There was one play where I just saw him trigger so fast on, on the pass – and almost pick it off. So he has aggressive eyes. It was like on the right sideline. And he saw it, put a foot in the ground, got there, uh, went to knock the ball away. I, I think he can play well in space as well as uh, around the line of scrimmage or in the box box row. Where are we, by the way, in the draft now? Like in terms of like, we're going through your top five safeties, but it, it strikes me that like at cornerback, there are more uh, high level elite talents in terms of where they're going to go in the draft at safety. Where is there a drop off? How do the tiers work here? I think we can, we'll see two safeties go first round, probably Lewis seen, probably uh, Kyle Hamilton, but then we also might see a team that might like someone more than the other. So maybe a team likes Brisker uh, more than Lewisine. And so you could see that. Safeties traditionally just, you don't see a whole lot fly off the board in the first round. Right. So I project two. Okay. I, I bet the over-under on safeties being drafted would be set at like two and a half. <laughs> okay. All right, cool. What about uh, who's your number four and who's your number five? All right, number four, we have, let me look at my notes here. Uh, Daxton Hill, who's okay. one of my favorite guys. And I don't even know if he's going to be listed as a safety. Right. He played so much nickel. Yeah. But he has that physicality. There was one play I was watching him against uh, Indiana, I believe it was. And he's matched up. He's manned up in the slot. He runs extremely well with a slot fade, takes it away. You see the quarterback look. It's not there. So then the quarterback takes off. And he's scampering for about 15 yards, 20 yards. and you see Daxton Hill, who's guarding the receiver, turns, sees the quarterback running at him, big quarterback, 6'5", 215, and he doesn't even think about it. He runs into him full speed. And for a guy to just have that type of mindset, like, you're tough. You're, you're, you ain't no punk or out there on the field. So he's a smaller guy in stature, but he ran extremely well. Another guy that ran sub 4'3", there seemed to be a lot of those guys in this class, probably the fastest class ever in the history of the combine. But think the versatility of him, being able to play nickel match. I talked about Tyron Matthew. This is a guy that has that type of ability. And your five? And my five is Jalen Petrie. Now, he's a guy that was predominantly more in the nickel spot. And 
I'm curious to see how the NFL views him. Uh, played well there. I thought he had fluid hips, was able to make plays on the ball. I was able to see him uh, up close and personal at the Senior Bowl week, watch him all week. Thought he did a terrific job there. They played him more in the slot as well. Did some stuff where they had him play some man on the outside. They did that with a lot of the safeties. I thought he held up well and had a strong week. I don't think he's a guy that's going to go in the first round at all. Mm-hmm. But if a team, you know, you start getting around pick 50 to 60, I think his name start might start coming up. Reminds me a lot of, of uh, gosh, what's his name? Chauncey Gardner Johnson. There we go. Uh, got drafted to the Saints coming out of Florida. He was a guy where it was like, is it safety? Is it a nickel? The Saints have utilized him extremely well in that nickel type role. I think he can be that type of defensive back. How do you know where where you should use him when they're one of those guys that's almost like a tweener in terms of corner safety? I think, again, you try to look at what they did well. Why did Baylor use him in that role the, to the extent that they did? And they did a lot of the match stuff. I didn't think he was asked to play a whole lot of man. It was like, you know, he would take away one side, and then if a guy granted that, then he'd run with it. I thought they simplified it for it, but I did like, I like the hips. I like the fluidity. I like, I like the playmaking ability. I like the way he was able to make plays on the ball. So all those type of things let me know. Like, I think he is more suited as a nickel. I would be curious to see if somebody says, all right, maybe he profiles more as a nickel or that's what we saw, but we could put him at safety. And well, if he can do those things, then he definitely plays safety. We saw that with Javon Holland, right? Javon Holland did a whole lot of that at Oregon, but then all of a sudden, you know, he goes to Miami and they use them in different ways, even as, you know, two high, single high and all those type of things. And I thought he had a terrific rookie year. A lot of people aren't talking about what Javon Holland did for Miami Dolphins. Going back to the cornerback position, there's this uh, guy, Zion McCollum. Are you familiar yeah. with him? I, I I watched him at the senior bowl. Okay. Well, and I actually, you know, crazy thing is I went to one of his games. Uh, Sam Houston played against uh, Art, University of Central Arkansas. And I, I trained a kid since he was in high school that plays for Sam Houston. So I went to the game. I didn't notice Zion McCollum there. Now, obviously, you go, to the, you go to the senior bowl week. You see him out there. He's a guy that tested extremely well. But I didn't quite see that at the senior bowl. I saw guys getting behind him. Now his man coverage. It's a lot harder to guard there. But I just thought too much he was, wasn't maybe trusting his speed enough. Hmm. I thought he could have trusted his speed a little bit more. Uh, but that's small, simple size because that's just one week against a different type of talent that he's used to covering. So the tweet that I saw making its way around was about his relative athletic score which I'm not actually particularly familiar with as a metric. Um, can you tell me about that and uh, why? So he scored a 10 out of a possible 10, which ranked him number one out of the 1923 cornerbacks that have come out since 1987. I'm trying to figure out what I should make of this. I wouldn't make too much of it. I'd okay. be curious to know where like, um, Marco Wilson was last year. I mean, he tested through the roof and he ended up going fourth round and Marco was solid. He had to play a lot as a rookie. I think he's a solid cornerback, but I don't think it was like, oh man, like you tested through the roof. So now you're just CB1 on this team. I don't think it translates quite like that. You got to trust your speed if you have it. And I don't know if Zion McCullough, I don't know if he's quite trusting it just yet, at least from what I've seen But again, small sample size. Is this the kind of thing that somebody could fall in love with late in terms of we've talked a lot about, you know, um, coaches and and people being like, I can do something with that, you know, and trying to project it, even if they haven't seen it on tape. Or at the very least, know that they get someone that could potentially be a special teams ace and NFL teams value that think a lot more than the fans. And there is value in that. Totally. Yeah. I wish I was better on special teams. I might still be playing in the NFL. <laughs> Crocky, <laughs> you're good at what you're doing, my man. This is this has <laughs> been you. really really good. What else do you feel very strongly about before I let you go about um about the draft just in general, maybe even outside the DB position? Oh man, I, I think their receiver class. I think it's going to continue to get stronger. Yeah. Each year, I think it's very deep. I mean. We'll, we'll see where like George Pickens goes, but that's a terrific guy who maybe a couple of years ago, you would have said would be the first receiver taken whenever he's able to come out. He's had some injuries, some setbacks, 
but he went to the combine. He tested well. Uh, you know, he's a guy that terrific uh, contested t- catch guy. He's a guy that I think knows how to run routes well with pace and setting up defenders and using their leverage against them. I think there's a lot to like about him. I'm curious to see where he gets drafted. I don't know if that's a strong take, but I mean, he, there might be people that have him the eighth best receiver in this class. And that just kind of shows you how deep of a class it really is. Which of these wide receivers would you least like to have to go up against? Oh, that's a great question. Cause that's how I kind of view receivers. Probably. Ah, uh, man. I mean, probably Jameson Williams. Okay. Cause he's just so twisted up and, I watched him against Arkansas and there was a play where he ran kind of this, like it looked like almost like a slant and go, but it was kind of like a kind of a dig and go type thing. And for him to have a corner playing over the top and the safety playing over the top and them not even bite on his in breaking move before he went up and him still not only outrun both guys, but catch behind them and then run both guys out of their form. That's how you know a guy's fast. If you see the DBs kind of run out of their form and score a touchdown, I, was, I don't want to guard that guy. <laughs> Crocky, you're the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me on. Good dude. Good info. Go give him a follow at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. I wanted to circle back on the point of positional value that I brought up about the safety position and Kyle Hamilton specifically, since he's going really early in a lot of mocks. So I wanted to clarify the point that I was making there is, yes, tied to the value of the safety position in the NFL in general to a degree, though I do think that that's actually going up with the two high looks that we're seeing and building around more frequently now. But mostly what I meant there was literal value, as in the finances of drafting a safety in that position. And I wanted to explain what I meant. So as you know, I'm sure, Rookie salaries are pre-negotiated and set according to draft slot. So the first overall pick gets a four-year contract worth $41 plus million. The 16th overall pick gets a four-year deal worth 16 plus mil. And the 32nd is slotted at a four-year deal worth 12.4 over the course of those four years. So if Hamilton goes to, to Detroit, he is slotted to get a $39.6 million contract. That would, as of right now, be the eighth richest contract in the league for a safety before he's even played it down. Average annual value of that contract would be $9.9 million in that range. That would be the 13th highest in the league. It would be more than two of last year's all-pro safeties are going to make this year. Well, are currently making on their deal, I guess, in terms of average annual value. Derwin James, who makes $3 million a year, has a roughly $12 million contract that he's playing on. And Jordan Poyer, who makes $9.75 a year, he's on a two-year deal. So by contrast, and this is a really important part of this point, the two all-pro edge rushers last year are on contracts in the $100 million range that pay $28 million a year in the case of TJ Watt and $25 per for Miles Garrett. So if the Lions drafted an edge in the two spot and that guy turned out to be the guy that they're hoping he'd be, i.e. very good, they would get a massive discount at the position for the next five years, paying that guy $9.9 million dollars a year for the first four with an option, you know, to add on the fifth year. This is obviously what uh, Washington did in the case of Chase Young and what San Francisco did in the case of Nick Bosa. And that is why those two players are currently 34th and 35th in terms of average annual value at their position. Clearly, they are not the 34th and 35th best edge rushers in the NFL. So those two teams are getting massive breaks on their salary and getting these game-changing players at a really cheap price. That affords the team an opportunity to put other pieces around them during that time frame. That's what I'm talking about here. Not that uh, Kyle is not going to be good enough to live up to that value. It's that there isn't as big of a difference 
or really any, <laughs> um, in terms of the pay scale, if you draft a safety there, he's automatically going to get paid really, really high. So if you go get him, as opposed to getting a top of the market guy in free agency, you're not getting a break and he's never stepped foot on the field and you don't know if he's going to be good. So there's no, there's no added benefit for you to get him unless you're just incredibly desperate. In the case of, again, Detroit or Houston picking at number three, they both could use an edge rusher. It just doesn't make sense to me to start with a safety and not get that break in pay at the position because, again, if you're Detroit and you are looking for an edge rusher, let's say, where are you going to get that guy? How are you going to get him? So you don't get him through the draft. You don't get the break in value. Are you going to go pay somebody $100 million to bring them in in free agency next year? It just doesn't totally make sense to me if you have this opportunity to get somebody in a very good edge class, as, of course, you heard Crocky say. Um, I realize sometimes we talk about positional value and stuff like that without fully clarifying what it is that we're really talking about, so I thought it might be worth it to backtrack a little bit and walk through it. Um, but again, like Eric said, for a team like Detroit that has needs everywhere on a defense, even if money wasn't the issue... I think I'd bang the table for an edge in that spot rather than a safety, but maybe they see Kyle Hamilton differently specifically as a guy who could walk onto the field and make a difference for the entire defense right out of the gate enough to warrant one of the best contracts for his position. And also as a generational Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu type, maybe that you can build a defense around. I think that that is what you would have to be talking about in order to take him there. And then again, not to, you know, belabor the point anymore. Even if that were the case, I just don't know if it's the smartest team building strategy. Anyway, moving on, uh, we'll find out what Detroit thinks. We'll find out what Houston thinks. I'd love to hear what you think about the subject, uh, Kyle, the position, all of it. You can hit me up on Twitter at Lindsay underscore Rhodes. I'm also on Insta at Lindsay Rhodes NFL. I have strong thoughts and feelings about the subject matter, but I think I'm open to have my mind changed. So, you know, take a swing. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. As always, this is the part of the show where I ask you to subscribe, rate, review, all of the things. And also where I thank the people behind the scenes who make this show possible. That is Andrew Emmer, who produces the show, Marissa Rivas, who is the acting director of sports podcasts for SiriusXM, and Steve Cohen, the SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM podcast network, and we'll be back next week with another episode. <laughs> Have a good one. Serious XM Podcasts.